September 2 through September 8 of Morning and Evening Daily Reading. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Morning and Evening Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon. Morning, September 2. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. Mark 1, verse 30. Very interesting is this little peep into the house of the apostolic fisherman. We see at once that household joys and cares are no hindrance to the full exercise of ministry. Nay, that since they furnish an opportunity for personally witnessing the Lord's gracious work upon one's own flesh and blood, they may even instruct the teacher better than any other earthly discipline. Papists and other sectaries may decry marriage, but true Christianity and household life agree well together. Peter's house was probably a poor fisherman's hut, but the Lord of glory entered it lodged in it and wrought a miracle in it should our little book be read this morning in some very humble cottage let this fact encourage the inmates to seek the company of king jesus god is oftener in little huts than in rich palaces jesus is looking round your room now and is waiting to be gracious to you in simon's house sickness had entered Fever, in a deadly form, had prostrated his mother-in-law, and as soon as Jesus came they told him of the sad affliction, and he hastened to the patient's bed. Have you any sickness in the house this morning? You will find Jesus by far the best physician. Go to him at once and tell him all about the matter. Immediately lay the case before him. It concerns one of his people, and therefore will not be trivial to him observe that at once the saviour restored the sick woman none can heal as he does we may not make sure that the lord will at once remove all disease from those we love but we may know that believing prayer for the sick is far more likely to be followed by restoration than anything else in the world and where this avails not we must meekly bow to his will by whom life and death are determined the tender heart of Jesus waits to hear our griefs. Let us pour them into his patient ear. Evening, September 2. Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. John 4, verse 48. A craving after marvels was a symptom of the sickly state of men's minds in our Lord's day. They refused solid nourishment and pined after mere wonder. The gospel which they so greatly needed they would not have the miracles which jesus did not always choose to give they eagerly demanded many nowadays must see signs and wonders or they will not believe some have said in their heart i must feel deep horror of soul or i will never believe in jesus but what if you never should feel it as probably you never may will you go to hell out of spite against God, because he will not treat you like another? One is said to himself, 
if I had a dream, or if I could feel a sudden shock of I know not what, then I would believe. Thus you undeserving mortals dream that my Lord is to be dictated to by you. You are beggars at his gate asking for mercy, and you must needs draw up rules and regulations as to how he shall give that mercy. Think you that he will submit to this? My master is of a generous spirit, but he has a right royal heart. He spurns all dictation and maintains his sovereignty of action. Why, dear reader, if such be your case, do you crave for signs and wonders? Is not the gospel its own sign and wonder? Is not this a miracle of miracles? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him might not perish. Surely that precious word, whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life freely. And that solemn promise, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out, are better than signs and wonders. A truthful Savior ought to be believed. He is truth itself. Why will you ask proof of the veracity of one who cannot lie? The devils themselves declare him to be the Son of God. Will you mistrust him? Morning, September 3. Thou whom my soul loveth. Song of Solomon 1, verse 7. It is well to be able, without any if or but, to say of the Lord Jesus, Thou whom my soul loveth. Many can only say of Jesus that they hope they love him, they trust they love him, but only a poor and shallow experience will be content to stay here. No one ought to give any rest to his spirit till he feels quite sure about a matter of such vital importance. We ought not to be satisfied with a superficial hope that Jesus loves us and with a bare trust that we love him. The old saints did not generally speak of buts and ifs and hopes and trusts but they spoke positively and plainly i know whom i have believed saith paul i know that my redeemer liveth saith Job. get positive knowledge of your love of jesus and be not satisfied till you can speak of your interest in him as a reality which you have made sure by having received the witness of the Holy Spirit and his seal upon your soul by faith. True love to Christ is in every case the Holy Spirit's work and must be wrought in the heart by him. He is the efficient cause of it. But the logical reason why we love Jesus lies in himself. Why do we love Jesus? Because he first loved us. Why do we love Jesus? Because he gave himself for us. We have life through his death. We have peace through his blood. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. Why do we love Jesus? Because of the excellency of his person. We are filled with a sense of his beauty, an admiration of his charms, a consciousness of his infinite perfection, his greatness, goodness and loveliness in one resplendent ray combine to enchant the soul till it is so ravished 
that it exclaims, Yea, he is altogether lovely. Blessed love this, a love which binds the heart with chains more soft than silk, and yet more firm than adamant. Evening, September 3. The Lord trieth the righteous. Psalm 11, verse 5. All events are under the control of providence. Consequently, all the trials of our outward life are traceable at once to the great first cause. Out of the golden gate of God's ordinance, the armies of trial march forth in array, clad in their iron armor and armed with weapons of war. All providences are doors to trial. Even our mercies, like roses, have their thorns. Men may be drowned in seas of prosperity as well as in rivers of affliction. Our mountains are not too high, and our valleys are not too low for temptations. Trials lurk on all roads. Everywhere above and beneath we are beset and surrounded with dangers, yet no shower falls unpermitted from the threatening cloud. Every drop has its order ere it hastens to the earth. The trials which come from God are sent to prove and strengthen our graces, and so at once to illustrate the power of divine grace, to test the genuineness of our virtues, and to add to their energy. Our Lord, in his infinite wisdom and superabundant love, sets so high a value upon his people's faith that he will not screen them from those trials by which faith is strengthened. You would never have possessed the precious faith which now supports you, if the trial of your faith had not been like unto fire. You are a tree that never would have rooted so well, if the wind had not rocked you to and fro, and made you take firm hold upon the precious truths of the covenant grace. Worldly ease is a great foe to faith. It loosens the joints of holy valor, and snaps the sinews of sacred courage, the balloon never rises until the cords are cut. Affliction does this sharp service for believing souls. While the wheat sleeps comfortably in the husk, it is useless to man. It must be threshed out of its resting place before its value can be known. Thus it is well that Jehovah trieth the righteous, for it causeth them to grow rich towards God. Morning, September 4 I will be thou clean. Mark 1, verse 41. Primeval darkness heard the almighty fiat, light be, and straightway light was, and the word of the Lord Jesus is equal in majesty to that ancient word of power. Redemption like creation has its words of might. Jesus speaks, and it is done. Leprosy yielded to no human remedies, but it fled at once at the Lord's I will. The disease exhibited no hopeful signs or tokens of recovery. Nature contributed nothing to its own healing. But the unaided word affected the entire work on the spot and forever. The sinner is in a plight more miserable than the leper. Let him imitate his example and go to Jesus, beseeching him and kneeling down to him. Let him exercise what little faith he has even though it should go no further than, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. 
and there need be no doubt as to the result of the application. Jesus heals all who come, and casts out none. In reading the narrative in which our morning's text occurs, it is worthy of devout notice that Jesus touched the leper. This unclean person had broken through the regulations of the ceremonial law and pressed into the house, but Jesus, so far from chiding him, broke through the law himself in order to meet him. He made an interchange with the leper, for while he cleansed him, he contracted by that touch a Levitical defilement. Even so, Jesus Christ was made sin for us, although in himself he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, that poor sinners would go to Jesus, believing in the power of his blessed substitutionary work, and they would soon learn the power of his gracious touch. That hand which multiplied the loaves, which saves sinking Peter, which upholds afflicted saints, which crowns believers, that same hand will touch every seeking sinner, and in a moment make him clean. The love of Jesus is the source of salvation. He loves, he looks, he touches us, we live. Evening, September 4. Just balances, just weight, just ephah, and a just hint shall ye have. Leviticus 19, verse 36. Weights and scales and measures were to be all according to the standards of justice. Surely no Christian man will need to be reminded of this in his business, for if righteousness were banished from all the world beside, it should find a shelter in believing hearts. There are, however, other balances which weigh moral and spiritual things and these often need examining. We will call in the officer tonight. Balances in which we weigh our own and every other men's characters, are they quite accurate? Do we not turn our own ounces of goodness into pounds, and other persons' bushels of excellence into pecks? See to weights and measures here, Christian. The scales in which we measure our trials and troubles, are they according to standard? Paul, who had more to suffer than we have, called his afflictions light, and yet we often consider ours to be heavy. Surely something must be amiss with the weights. We must see to this matter, lest we get reported to the court above for unjust dealing. Those weights with which we measure our doctrinal belief, are they quite fair? The doctrines of grace should have the same weight with us as the precepts of the word no more and no less. But it is to be feared that with many, one scale or the other is unfairly weighted. It is a grand matter to give just measure in truth. Christian, be careful here. Those measures in which we estimate our obligations and responsibilities look rather small. When a rich man gives no more to the cause of God than the poor contribute, is that a just ephah? And a just hint? When ministers are half-starved, is that honest dealing? When the poor are despised, while ungodly rich men are held in admiration, is that a just balance? Reader, we might lengthen the list, but we prefer to leave it as your evening's work. 
find out and destroy all unrighteous balances, weights, and measures. Morning, September 5 Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. Psalm 120, verse 5 As a Christian, you have to live in the midst of an ungodly world, and it is of little use for you to cry, Woe is me. Jesus did not pray that you should be taken out of the world, and what he did not pray for, you need not desire. Better far in the Lord's strength to meet the difficulty, and glorify him in it. The enemy is ever on the watch to detect inconsistency in our conduct. Be therefore very holy. Remember that the eyes of all are upon you, and that more is expected from you than from other men strive to give no occasion for blame let your goodness be the only fault they can discover in you like daniel compel them to say to you we shall not find any occasion against this daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his god seek to be useful as well as consistent perhaps you think if i were in a more favorable position i might serve the lord's cause but I cannot do any good where I am. But the worse the people are among whom you live, the more need have they of your exertions. If they be crooked, the more necessity that you should set them straight. And if they be perverse, the more need have you to turn their proud hearts to the truth. Where should the physician be, but where there are many sick? Where is honor to be won by the soldier, but in the hottest fire of the battle, and when weary of the strife and sin that meets you on every hand, consider that all the saints have endured the same trial. They were not carried on beds of down to heaven, and you must not expect to travel more easily than they. They had to hazard their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. And you will not be crowned till you also have endured hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Therefore stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Evening, September 5. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea? Job 38, verse 16. Some things in nature must remain a mystery to the most intelligent and enterprising investigators. Human knowledge has bounds beyond which it cannot pass. Universal knowledge is for God alone. If this be so in the things which are seen and temporal, I may rest assured that it is even more so in matters spiritual and eternal. Why then have I been torturing my brain with speculations as to destiny and will, fixed fate, and human responsibility? These deep and dark truths I am no more able to comprehend than to find out the depth which culcheth beneath, from which old ocean draws her watery shores. Why am I so curious to know the reason of my Lord's providences, the motive of his actions, the designs of his visitations? Shall I ever be able to clasp the sun in my fist and hold the universe in my palm? Yet these are as a drop of a bucket compared to the Lord my God. Let me not strive to understand the infinite, but spend my strength in love. What I cannot gain by intellect, I can possess by affection. 
and let that suffice me i cannot penetrate the heart of the sea but i can enjoy the healthful breezes which sweep over its bosom and i can sail over its blue waters with propitious winds if i could enter the spring of the sea the feet would serve no useful purpose either to myself or to others it would not save the sinking bark or give back the drowned mariner to his weeping wife and children neither would my solving deep mysteries avail me a single whit for the least love to god and the simplest act of obedience to him are better than the profoundest knowledge my lord i leave the infinite to thee and pray thee to put far from me such a love for the tree of knowledge as might keep me from the tree of life morning september sixth in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world philippians two verse fifteen we use lights to make manifest a christian man should so shine in his life that a person could not live with him a week without knowing the gospel his conversation should be such that all who are about him should clearly perceive whose he is and whom he serves and should see the image of jesus reflected in his daily actions lights are intended for guidance we are to help those around us who are in the dark we are to hold forth to them the word of life we are to point sinners to the savior and the weary to a divine resting place men sometimes read their bibles and fail to understand them we should be ready like philip to instruct the inquirer in the meaning of god's word the way of salvation and the life of godliness lights are also used for warning on our rocks and shoals a lighthouse is sure to be erected christian men should know that there are many false lights shown everywhere in the world and therefore the right light is needed the wreckers of satan are always abroad tempting the ungodly to sin under the name of pleasure they hoist the wrong light be it ours to put up the true light upon every dangerous rock to point out every sin and tell what it leads to so that we may be clear of the blood of all men shining as lights in the world lights also have a very cheering influence and so have christians a christian ought to be a comforter with kind words on his lips and sympathy in his heart he should carry sunshine wherever he goes and diffuse happiness around him gracious spirit dwell with me i myself would gracious be and with words that help and heal would thy life and mine reveal and with actions bold and meek would for christ my saviour speak evening september six if ye be led by the spirit ye are not under the law galatians five verse eighteen he who looks at his own character and position from a legal point of view will not only despair when he comes to the end of his reckoning but if he be a wise man he will despair at the beginning for if we are to be judged on the footing of the law there shall no flesh living be justified 
how blessed to know that we dwell in the domains of grace and not of law when thinking of my state before god the question is not am i perfect in myself before the law but am i perfect in christ jesus that is a very different matter we need not inquire am i without sin naturally but have i been washed and the fountain opened for sin and for uncleanness it is not am i in myself well pleasing to god but it is am i accepted in the beloved the christian views his evidences from the top of sinai and grows alarmed concerning his salvation it were better far if he read his title by the light of calvary why saith he my faith has unbelief in it it is not able to save me suppose he had considered the object of his faith instead of his faith then he would have said there is no failure in him and therefore i am safe he sighs over his hope ah my hope is marred and dimmed by an anxious carefulness about present things how can i be accepted had he regarded the ground of his hope he would have seen that the promises of god stand as sure and that whatever our doubts may be the oath and promise never fail ah believer it is safer always for you to be led of the spirit into gospel liberty than to wear legal fetters judge yourself at what christ is rather than at what you are satan will try to mar your peace by reminding you of your sinfulness and imperfections you can only meet his accusations by faithfully adhering to the gospel and refusing to wear the yoke of bondage morning september seventh and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press they uncovered the roof where he was and when they had broken it up they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay mark two verse four faith is full of inventions the house was full a crowd blocked up the door but faith found a way of getting at the lord and placing the palsied man before him if we cannot get sinners where jesus is by ordinary methods we must use extraordinary ones it seems according to luke five verse nineteen that a tiling had to be removed which would make dust and cause a measure of danger to those below but where the case is very urgent we must not mind running some risks and shocking some proprieties jesus was there to heal and therefore fall what might faith ventured all so that her poor palsy charge might have his sins forgiven oh that we had more daring faith among us cannot we dear reader seek it this morning for ourselves and for our fellow workers and will we not try today to perform some gallant act for the love of souls and the glory of the lord the world is constantly inventing genius serves all the purposes of human desire cannot faith invent too and reach by some new means the outcasts who lie perishing around us it was the presence of jesus which excited victorious courage in the forebearers of the palsied man is not the lord among us now 
Have we seen his face for ourselves this morning? Have we felt his healing power in our own souls? If so, then through door, through window, or through roof, let us, breaking through all impediments, labor to bring poor souls to Jesus. All means are good in decorous, when faith and love are truly set on winning souls. If hunger for bread can break through stone walls, surely hunger for souls is not to be hindered in its efforts. O Lord, make us quick to suggest methods of reaching thy poor, sin-sick ones, and bold to carry them out at all hazards. Evening, September 7th there is sorrow on the sea it cannot be quiet jeremiah forty nine verse twenty three little know we what sorrow may be upon the sea at this moment we are safe in our quiet chamber but far away on the south sea the hurricane may be cruelly seeking for the lives of men hear how the death fiends howl among the cordage how every timber starts as the waves beat like battering rams upon the vessel god help you poor drenched and wearied ones my prayer goes out to the great lord of sea and land that he will make the storm a calm and bring you to your desired haven nor ought i to offer prayer alone i should try to benefit those hardy men who risk their lives so constantly have i ever done anything for them what can i do how often does the boisterous sea swallow up the mariner thousands of corpses lie where pearls lie deep there is death sorrow on the sea which is echoed in the long wail of widows and orphans the salt of the sea is in many eyes of mothers and wives. Remorseless billows, ye have devoured the love of women and the stay of households. What a resurrection there shall be from the caverns of the deep when the sea gives up her dead. Till then, there will be sorrow on the sea. As if in sympathy with the woes of earth, the sea is forever fretting along a thousand shores wailing with a sorrowful cry like her own birds, booming with the hollow crash of unrest, raving with uproarious discontent, chafing with hoarse wrath, or jangling with the voices of ten thousand murmuring pebbles. The roar of the sea may be joyous to a rejoicing spirit, but to the son of sorrow the wide, wide ocean is even more forlorn than the wide, wide world this is not our rest and the restless billows tell us so there is a land where there is no more sea our faces are steadfastly set towards it we are going to the place of which the lord hath spoken till then we cast our sorrows on the lord who trod the sea of old and who maketh a way for his people through the depths thereof morning september eighth from me is thy fruit found hosea fourteen verse eight our fruit is found from our god as to union the fruit of the branch is directly traceable to the root sever the connection the branch dies and no fruit is produced 
by virtue of our union with Christ we bring forth fruit. Every bunch of grapes has been first in the root. It has passed through the stem and flowed through the sap vessels and fashioned itself externally into fruit. But it was first in the stem. So also every good work was first in Christ and then is brought forth in us. O Christian, prize this precious union to Christ for it must be the source of all the fruitfulness which thou canst hope to know. If thou wert not joined to Jesus Christ, thou wouldst be a barren bough indeed. Our fruit comes from God as to spiritual providence. When the dewdrops fall from heaven, when the cloud looks down from on high and is about to distill its liquid treasure, when the bright sun swells the berries of the cluster, each heavenly boon may whisper to the tree and say, From me is thy fruit found. The fruit owes much to the root, that is essential to fruitfulness, but it owes very much also to external influences. How much we owe to God's grace providence, in which he provides us constantly with quickening, teaching, consolation, strength, or whatever else we want. To this we owe our all of usefulness or virtue. Our fruit comes from God as to wise husbandry. The gardener's sharp-edged knife promotes the fruitfulness of the tree by thinning the clusters and by cutting off superfluous shoots. So is it, Christian, with that pruning which the Lord gives to thee. My father is the husbandman, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Since our God is the author of our spiritual graces, let us give to him all the glory of our salvation. Evening, September 8. The exceeding greatness of his power, to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20. In the resurrection of Christ, as in our salvation, there was put forth nothing short of a divine power. What shall we say of those who think that conversion is wrought by the free will of man and is due to his own betterness of disposition? When we shall see the dead rise from the grave by their own power, then may we expect to see ungodly sinners of their own free will turning to Christ. It is not the word preached, nor the word read in itself. All quickening power proceeds from the Holy Ghost. This power was irresistible. All the soldiers and the high priests could not keep the body of Christ in the tomb. Death himself could not hold Jesus in his bonds. Even thus irresistible is the power put forth in the believer when he is raised to newness of life. No sin, no corruption, no devils in hell nor sinners upon earth can stay the hand of God's grace when it intends to convert a man. If God omnipotently says, Thou shalt, men shall not say, I will not. Observe that the power which raised Christ from the dead was glorious. It reflected honor upon God, 
and wrought dismay in the hosts of evil. So there is great glory to God in the conversion of every sinner. It was everlasting power. Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. So we, being raised from the dead, go not back to our dead works, nor to our old corruptions, but we live unto God. Because he lives, we live also. For we are dead, and our life is hid with Christ in God. Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Lastly, in the text, mark the union of the new life to Jesus. The same power which raised the head works life in the members. What a blessing to be quickened together with Christ. End of September 2 through September 8.